Welcome to this edition of Innovations for Aging Well, presented by Thrive Central Kentucky and awg55.com. I am your host, Dale Josie, and this monthly podcast is powered by CDW, a provider of technology products and services for healthcare, business, government, and education. This series highlights thought leaders and innovators in long-term care. And today's episode features three guests from Locked In Companies, Inc., which is the world's largest privately held insurance brokerage firm, providing insurance, risk management, employee benefits, and retirement services. Located in Kansas City, Missouri, Lockton is truly a global company with offices across the United States, including in the European Union, London, Dubai, North Africa, Australia, Asia, and Latin America. My co-host for Innovations for Aging Well is Sherry Rose, CEO and Executive Director of the Thrive Center, a nonprofit innovation center focused on wellness and aging. Sherry is also a partner at Commonwealth Leverage LLC, a healthcare professional consulting firm, and has also been recognized as one of the top 20 people to know in aging. To read more information about Sherry Rose and Thrive Center, please visit their website, thrivecenterky.org. In a few moments, Sherry is going to share her thoughts on selecting Lockton for Episode 6, Innovations for Aging Well. But before she does, I'd like to introduce our guests for today. We, have, we are pleased and honored to have three guests from Lockton. Our first guest is Dr. Christine Hale. Dr. Hale is the Medical Director and Lead Strategist for Lockton's Clinical Consulting Team. She received her MD from Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Dr. Hale completed her residency training in pediatrics at Duke University Medical Center. Her work history includes working as a consultant for hospitals and healthcare systems in a variety of functional areas, including strategy, operations, and organization. Good morning, Dr. Hale. How are you? Good morning. Thank you so much for having me here today. Absolutely. And then next, we have Todd Halasny. Todd leads the Lockton Health Risk Solutions Team which is responsible for the development and implementation of risk management strategies. Todd actively partners with client leaders to establish the cultural, financial, and operational framework which clients need to achieve their employee benefits, goals, and objectives. Good morning, Todd. How are you, my friend? Morning, Dale. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. And then last but not least, we have Brooke Runyon. Brooke joined Lockton in 2009 as a health benefits and risk management consultant. Her work history includes consulting with clients to identify issues and solve problems via strategic planning and implementation of software and services. Brooke is passionate about using data-driven approach to analyze risk, predict future costs, and implement strategies to drive those risks down over time. Brooke's background includes working with a leading supplier of healthcare solutions and services, where she learned the inner workings of the healthcare industry from a provider perspective. Good morning, Brooke. How are you? Good morning, Dale. Thanks for having me. Well, we're so glad you guys are here from Lockton and to, to, uh, to lead us into this, uh, into this uh, episode. We also have Sherry Rose. As I mentioned a moment ago, Sherry is the, uh, is the co-host for Innovations for Aging Well. Sherry, good morning. How are you this day? Good morning. I'm doing great, Dale. Thanks for, uh, thanks for hosting this. 
Well, absolutely, Sherry. And as you're aware, and also as our listeners are aware, um, previous episodes of Innovations for Aging Well, sponsored by CDW, have focused on entrepreneurs and healthcare organizations as early adopters of innovation. So for our listeners, please share your thoughts on why you selected Lockton as the guest for episode six of Innovations for Aging Well. So yes, Dale, having focused on uh, innovation in the past, uh, we've really highlighted our senior living providers who are making an investment in innovative solutions and technologies uh, for clinical care. And so what we tend to forget is uh, the workforce. Uh, These are caregivers. So the employees of these senior living providers uh, are the ones that are not only caring for family members at home, but they're caring for residents that may be our family members. And so it's a different type of investment. And we look at Lockton and we're honored to have them as a uh, supporter of the Thrive Center because they make an investment uh, in the employees uh, of these senior living providers. And so I wanted to highlight that because we can talk about innovative solutions all day long, but with the um, lack of workforce, the shortage that's out there, it's going to be key and critical for each of us as we age and as we care for aging parents. So I'm excited to have Lockton uh, on the podcast today. And uh, let's take a different turn than looking at investment. Mm-hmm. Very good. And I think with that said, uh, Sherry, and thanks for setting the table for us. Todd, I'd like to have you open up our, with our first line of questioning. Um, on the website, Lockton.com, on their website, it touts uh, bringing creative thinking and entrepreneurial spirit to the insurance business. Um, what does this mean and how does it pertain to health risk management, employee wellness, and uh, resident wellness programs? Yeah, I think that's that's a great question, a great place to start. You know, that uh, Lockton has fortunately invested in a lot of different resources, some of that being technology, um, data, and then personnel. And I really think that that's uh, part of that innovation is making sure that all of those things function uh, cohesively, that uh, sometimes organizations have a tendency to focus on maybe one or two of those aspects. But what we found to truly be innovative in the marketplace is you have to make considerable investments in all three of those areas. And over time, that obviously has made your company extremely successful. I mean, 8,500 employees worldwide, uh, 100 plus locations and 125 companies. You're obviously doing something right since 1966, I think I read, which is when you were uh, founded. Yeah, you know, our, our formula for sex, excuse me, success is, is pretty simple, right? We need to invest in our associates, we need to invest in our community, and we invest in our clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, again, we do everything with the intention of taking care of our clients first and foremost. And, you know, when you have that mindset, um, it really helps us achieve the goals that we would like to, that, are, that we've established with our clients. And um, mm-hmm. again, I think our, our growth is indicative of that, uh, that recipe for success. Mm-hmm. Well said, well said. Um, Dr. Christine Hale, you know, from your perspective, in terms of locked and being entrepreneurial and being cutting edge, um, my understanding is that you guys have a unique partnership with the Mayo Clinic and other centers of excellence. Can you kind of walk our listeners through what that partnership with the Mayo Clinic is and and uh, how this came about with regard to Lockton? 
Absolutely. And as you noted, I think this is a perfect example of that entrepreneurial spirit and the ability to be nimble um, and flex when we identify needs for our plans that we're assisting and, and their members, most importantly. So, and, you know, I came from the provider side, as you noted in the introduction. And one of the things that I learned is that, you know, the most complex cases out there, the folks that have multiple conditions, rare conditions, they're not responding to treatment, you know, they are very costly. And also they are going through, most importantly, a very difficult time in the healthcare system. The traditional model would dictate that you maybe go see your general practitioner. They may refer you to a specialist. You wait for the specialist. You wait to get additional testing. Um, then you wait to get back into the specialist to get your results. And then, you know, you may very well get an answer that says, well, it's not what we thought it was. So you have to get more testing or I'm going to send you to another specialist. And, mm -hmm. and I like to say rinse and repeat. <laughs> uh, my own personal health journey um, put me on disability for 15 months going through that very process, trying to figure mm -hmm. out um, a, a set of complex diagnoses. And, you know, it's just not sufficient for patients and it's not sufficient for um, those who, you know, need those patients to be present at work and, and to be working at their best, including our caregivers um, in the mm -hmm. communities, as we've discussed. And so and when I came over to Lockton from the provider side, um, I came from a health system where I had 15 clinical expert panels. So if I had a question about a rare disease or a drug that came out last week, I knew exactly who to call. Um, and, and by definition, our team that I work with at Lockton, we are focused on the 1% or so of individuals who are the most complex, and yet I didn't have a phone a friend. And so <laughs> our leadership immediately recognized that that was a, a, a legitimate need if we were going to really impact these individuals' lives. Um, and I found the Mayo Clinic um, as an excellent par first partner on this journey. Um, they have an amazing program that is designed for these very complex, I call them my purple zebra unicorn cases, and they can get a patient in within a couple of weeks. Um, and during a three to 10 day stay on average, they may see five, eight, 10 different specialists. They've had all their records reviewed. They may get additional testing. And then at the end of that visit, their quarterback doctor, who's an internist or pediatrician, will summarize the findings and recommendations for the patient and their local care team um, mm -hmm. to make sure that that transition is seamless. And then they'll offer to be a phone a friend for that team ongoing as the patient pursues um, some of those recommendations. So it has been something that patients tell me has changed their lives, gives them hope again. And it makes me incredibly proud that we can do this service and get people back to their lives and back to their top level functioning. So they, they do take care of themselves so they can take care of others as well. I like the way you said that, especially the part about rinse and repeat, which I submit as a consumer and all of us here, uh, you know, that seems to be the forte of the healthcare system these days, which is frustrating and expensive, right? I mean, it's crazy. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I always tell people, you know, with the cost of some of the therapeutics that are coming out today, um, you certainly don't want to have someone prescribing those for a misdiagnosed condition mm -hmm. um, or, you know, in a fashion that is suboptimal for the patient's outcome. And so um, we all have to be good stewards um, and keep the patient at the forefront and make sure, you know, what we think we should be doing is actually um, adding to the value of their care. Mm -hmm. Very good. Uh, Brooke Runyon, you're responsible for business development for Lockton. 
Um, and in terms of attracting clients and some of the best practices that Lockton offers, what is in your quiver? What's in your arsenal of services when you are talking to uh, either current clients or potential clients about what's appealing about uh, retaining Lockton? Yeah. Well, when we're starting a conversation with a potential future client, the challenges that exist within their plans are consistent across the board. And those are really, Dale, 100% large claims in pharmacy. And so two of the arrows in my quiver are with us on the call today. Dr. (laughs) who works in our large and complex claims practice and Todd's team, who I partner with on the health risk management strategy. And as I was listening to Christine talk a little bit about the therapeutics and just the specialty medications in general, it got me thinking about some of the creative work that Todd's done with our clients using resources like pharmacogenomics. Mm -hmm. And so Todd, you might mention the pharmacogenomics piece and how that's applicable to not only our clients' health plans, but also in the resident and patient populations and our senior living clients as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Brooke. So um, pharmacogenomics is a topic that we are acutely aware of and and candidly, I believe, helping drive within the uh, broader industry that, you know, there's a lot of evidence-based medicine or evidence-based medicine, yes, now in regards to your DNA or your genetic makeup and how effective or ineffective some of these drugs can be. So again, partnering very closely with Dr. Hale to make sure that, you know, when Mayo has clearly identified the condition this person has and a medication is appropriate, having these individuals go through a DNA test to make sure that uh, their DNA aligns with that particular medication, that some individuals may either over-metabolize or under-metabolize that. Um, And obviously, the cost of these drugs is really um, skyrocketing as well. So in addition to the clinical side of it, we want to make sure that, you know, that the efficacy from the medications is is on point with what we're looking to achieve. That you know, when you're spending excess of a hundred thousand dollars a year for these drugs, you want to make sure that they uh, have the intended output. Mm-hmm. And Todd, we're going to come back to uh, to pharmacogenetics in just a moment. But for our listeners, uh, we are again. This is Innovations for Aging Well. I'm your host, Dale Josie. And this monthly series is presented by Thrive Center Kentucky and AWG 55. We also have Sherry Rose, CEO, Executive Director of the Thrive Center. And this monthly podcast is powered by CDW, a provider of technology, products, and services for healthcare, business, government, and education. Um, Todd, when you're talking about pharmacogenetics, you talked about it from the patient side. But I think off mic, did you not mention something about the employee engagement as, as well in terms of uh, pharmacogenetics? In terms of, yes. the, go ahead, buddy. Yeah, yeah. So the efficacy, I mean, it, it, it plays into both the, the care that the residents are going to receive um, as well as then the employee population, right? So a lot of times the employees, the caregivers um, may be dealing with a very complex um, condition. And again, we want to make sure that the that medication is going to be safe and effective, um, both from a clinical perspective as well as a financial perspective. That, again, making sure that these individuals can uh, perform very well, both from a society perspective as well as on their job, 
is, is very, very important. So if for some reason you have an individual who is taking a very costly medication, but not receiving the therapeutic benefit, then the opportunity for them to perform at work um, and providing care is then less than optimal to say the least. So that's part of a big part of the equation as well. We're going to shift gears from pharmacogenetics and talk about another piece, Todd, while you have the floor, I guess, uh, actually, while you had the mic, that might be more appropriate <laughs> to the setting. But uh, uh, talk to us a little bit about gamification. And then, Sherry, I want you to kind of chime in with that, uh, with uh, what Thrive Center is doing in terms of gamification. But, Todd, this sounded pretty cool. What is that exactly? And how is uh, Lockton employing gamification? Yeah, so, again, it's really twofold that... Uh, leveraging gamification as a way to drive higher engagement, both from a resident perspective. Um, you know, it started several uh, years ago, you know, with uh, with devices like the Wii or Xbox becoming very popular, maybe with uh, the youth of our country, um, leveraging that and realizing that adults want to play as well, right? Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. being able to earn achievement points and things like that was just as motivating for a senior population or an employee population it is for the for the youth. So um, again, whether that's we bowl back in the day um, to now virtual reality, I think is becoming much more prevalent. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that those are some of the things that the Thrive Center is also investing in. Yeah, Sherry, perfect, perfect segue to you, madam. Yes, absolutely. You know, I think what we saw during COVID was a lot of anxiety and anxiety that impacted uh, not only the residents, but the caregivers who were worried about maybe contacting uh, COVID-19 and carrying it home to their family members. And so what we did, um, we actually loaned out a virtual reality product that was here in the Thrive Center because we had a lack of people coming in during COVID. We were all on quarantine. And the videos that we got back from the residents and the staff sitting there in VR, uh, traveling together, uh, just reducing that anxiety um, was just really heartwarming to see because we know what VR can do for uh, anxiety. And uh, it takes you to a place uh, where you're maybe meditating or outside of uh, the stress that you're under. So we're seeing a lot around virtual reality. Uh, we're actually working with a company similar to what Todd was saying, who is looking through VR where you could be remote and be engaged in activities like bowling or cornhole. And um, that person may be in London. You may be here in Louisville or Kansas City, and you're engaging with that family member. So these are all the types of innovative solutions that we're seeing that uh, really attacks the loneliness and isolation that uh, was highlighted during COVID. And I always say it's always been there. It's mm -hmm. just we got to experience it during COVID uh, when we were in quarantine. So that's where we saw a lot of entrepreneurs rush right to um, attacking uh, loneliness and isolation with solutions. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess that if you're if uh, if gamification is the idea, make sure I'm clear about this. Uh, if it's the if it's the idea of employees playing games uh, with their residents, basically you're paying them to have fun. That would suggest there's not an issue with finding employees for long-term care because we're paying you to go have fun and play all day. Would that be a fair assessment or not? No. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's tough, right? I mean, it's tough trying to retain employees, right? Anyone from Lockton? Thoughts? 
Well, I think we're seeing a labor shortage that's affecting so many industries right now and in, in senior living. Long-term care is, is simply one of those. There's so many people that exited the workforce during the pandemic, and those people just have not come back. Mm-hmm. And I saw some statistics in a presentation yesterday from um, one of our regional economic research groups here in Kansas City that does not lead me to believe that it's going to get better anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And so when we have conversations with our clients or with our future clients, it's a lot around how do you create an environment where you're recruiting and then of course, retaining people. Mm-hmm. And it comes down to culture, culture, culture. Mm-hmm. What are you doing to create a culture at your organization where people want to work there? And Dale, a hundred percent having fun at work is a piece of that, but also mm-hmm. things like, do people feel included when they come to work? You know, the after everything that happened with George Floyd, the conversations around diversity, equity, including belonging really ramped up. And those have not changed. I mean, a hundred percent when we're talking to leaders of HR at these organizations, we're talking about employee engagement, DE&I, employee health and well-being, and the workforce shortage is just sort of the underlying theme around mm-hmm. all of those. Mm-hmm. We're going to segue to Todd in a moment to talk about the gig the gig, the gig economy as, empl- as important for uh, employee retention. But Brooke, while you have the floor, when you're talking about uh, uh, retaining employees, uh, my wife was the vice president of HR. She had 500 employees. And one of the things which used for a large employer here, and one of the things that amazed me was she would say someone across the street is giving a nickel or a dime or a quarter, not even a quarter, but incremental increase. And all of a sudden, overnight, you've lost your workforce. So what are some of the best, best practices, maybe a few off the top of your head, Brooke, that can kind of counteract that other than just money before I segue to uh, Todd to talk about the gig economy? Well, we talked a little bit about the importance of DE&I and making people feel included um, as you're hiring more of a diverse workforce and then also the culture piece. Uh, DEI, Brooke, what is DEI? I'm sorry. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Very good. Go ahead, madam. So, um, and the, you know, the tone for the culture of an organization absolutely starts at the top with the CEO. So that the head of HR will be a partner in the execution of that culture, but it's really looking to that leader to set the tone for a place where people want to work. Um, Dale, you also mentioned the compensation piece. That's a reality. I mean, these are, you know, many low paid jobs and that quarter more, 75 cents more an hour can mean something to people. And so for us, what we look to do is design more of a total reward strategy with our clients. And so that's looking at the total investment that they're making in people across compensation, benefits, retirement, other benefits like leave. And the reality is people don't value benefits like they used to. And so we're looking, I'm looking to design the strategic plan, leverage our resources like Todd and Christine's team and drive as much waste out of the benefits program Mm -hmm. so that clients like your wife could reinvest those dollars in compensation where those dollars mean more to the employees. Mm -hmm. That's, that's really good. That's so good. 
And you guys are doing something right, Brooke. Uh, you got, uh, I was reading uh, my research at Lockton, uh, which, by the way, for our listeners, you can find more information about Lockton at Lockton.com. You guys have 85 employees, 8,500 employees with a 96% retention rate. You're doing something good at Lockton. Yeah, we're doing a lot of things really well at Lockton, Dale. I've been here 12 years, and if I didn't love it, I wouldn't be here. My life is too short. And including, so I, uh, including bowling? We bowl? Can I come there and bowl yes, too? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned the growth. The piece that really differentiates Lockton from a growth perspective, and we've had double-digit growth every year since our doors opened in 1966, is that is all organic growth. We are not acquiring other insurance agencies we are out pounding the pavement. We have the best sales team uh, of any broker and we have the best associates and the associates, they're really the ones that make a difference in that client experience, which leads not only to the new business acquisition, but also our high retention rate. And it's a lot easier to grow at double digits when we're not uh, losing clients. So yeah. thank you, Adam and Christine. <laughs> Well, that's a good team. And part of your team members, uh, for folks who are uh, just joining us, we have uh, Brooke Runyon, who you just heard from. And we also have Dr. Christine Hale and Todd Halasny uh, from, from Lockton.com. Uh, before I go to Dr. Uh, Hale, uh, Todd, a moment ago, I kind of set this up with the idea of, um, of the gig economy. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that and how that plays into uh, employee retention programs? Yeah, to Brooke's point, you know, we work with each one of our groups to develop an overarching strategy, total reward strategy. So we really have to understand how the gig economy plays into their overall strategic plan. Some organizations, you know, are looking to recruit and retain full-time associates, while others understand that in order to be able to continue to provide high value, high quality services to the residents. They may have to bring in more part-time or, or gig workforce. Um, and we have to be understanding of that too, right? So how can we help them, one, recruit and retain those folks and then get them incorporated into that culture as quickly as possible? What we've actually started to see is some of these individuals who may have their full-time job maybe in a large health system and are doing a part-time role within the senior living space, if we do our jobs really well in partnership with our clients, they may actually flip-flop, right? They may find a lot more value in being able to provide care in a senior living setting than maybe a large hospital setting. Again, to Dr. Hale's point, wash, rinse, and repeat, right? That right. Um, people are trying to get that connection again. So, a lot of our clients are seeing that as a way to not only feel, fill an immediate need, but potentially fill a longer term need if we could actually recruit those people to be more full-time associates. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to do that, let's get them engaged. And again, our health risk management strategies very early on, connecting with the residents, holding each other accountable to maybe exercising more, increasing their flexibility, being very cognizant of their mental health uh, status and things like that. So yeah, really trying to have an understanding of how the gig economy fits into the overarching strategy of each one of our clients is very important. Mm -hmm. well, that's that's really good. And and then, um, Dr. Hale, uh, Christine, uh, one of the things that you guys have is the uh, nurse advocacy program. Um, and I guess that's very important also because you've had people actually walk in their shoes is what you kind of talk, spoke about off mic. Can you, uh, Share some thoughts, some light on the nurse advocacy program at Lockton. 
Absolutely. And, you know, there's a broader conversation happening in the healthcare space around advocacy um, as a, an approach, and it's becoming very popular, certainly with our clients that we're working with. And the reason is, you know, we obviously have some administered or some insurance companies, if you will, that have some great case management, you know, traditional case management programs. Um, but, you know, they are sometimes challenged by being able to reach individuals that, that might benefit. And, you know, there there is, you know, a lot of it, I believe, unfounded, but there is a lot of suspicion amongst consumers of healthcare as it regards to um, their insurance company, right? And so uh, many individuals are very suspect when someone from the insurance company is, is calling them. Um, and what we're finding, though, is they do need this service, particularly the more complex um, one's healthcare journey is, the more they need such, such a service. And having individuals who have walked in their shoes, who, you know, have been a healthcare provider, who've been a patient, who understand all of the hurdles that it takes to not only navigate your day-to-day care, you know, where's my insurance card? <laughs> I need a new copy. Right. All the way to, you know, I I don't seem to have a good diagnosis and I'm really struggling or I can't find a <clears throat> provider that can address my issue in my um, geography. I don't know who's the best to go to. You know, all of these questions that interestingly, as a physician, I get from my family and friends all the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> not everybody has a physician in their immediate circle. So, yeah. uh, you know, folks that were really looking for answers to get them to the right place to solve their healthcare needs. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm very proud that Lockton has a service. Um, obviously, my team, we can work with all sorts of, you know, there's third party vendors out there and um, some of our healthcare providers are doing these services for their own um, employees and others. But, you know, we have a service at, and actually Todd is um, very involved in that, um, where we have nurses who can assist me- plan members and really be that trusted source of information. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's important to my team as well, because not only, again, do we want to do everything we can to support these individuals, but to be able to you know, partner with the locked in nurse advocate team to do outreach. When, when my team, we're reviewing claims data and other data points that suggest an individual could really benefit from one of the centers of excellence like Mayo, um, you know, it's very difficult for us to reach them if, if the patient won't answer the phone. And so to have that relationship where one of our nurse advocates can reach out, they're, they're a trusted and known source of information um, you know, eliminate that suspicion and just make the patient aware that this is a service that their employer um, provides through Lockton. Um, and if they're interested to be able to get them engaged in the program. And then on the back end, of course, you know, as they're going after their visit to the Center of Excellence to be able to get that information back to the nurse advocate so they can help assist with those ongoing care needs. Um, you know, it's one thing to go see some of the world's leading experts um, and get some great advice. But if you then need to go find a specialist in your neighborhood um, to help you navigate that care recommendation plan, then, you know, now you're back to square one again of being like, well, now what? Yeah. <laughs> so to have that, that person that can help you every step of the journey, no matter how small or how large the concern um, is really something that benefits patients overall and allows us to do so much more to help individuals than we have been able to in the past. 
Well, that's excellent. And Sherry, I promised you we're going to come back to you on gamification in a minute. But for our listeners, you're listening to Innovations for Aging Well podcast series presented by Thrive Center Kentucky and awg55.com. I'm your host, Dale Josie, and this monthly podcast is powered by CDW, a provider of technology, services, products for healthcare, business, and government and education. Today's guest are, uh, from Lockton.com is uh, Dr. Christine Hale, who is the medical director and lead strategist for Lockton's clinical consulting team. We also are hearing from uh, Todd Halasny, who leads the Lockton Health Risk Solutions team, which is responsible for the development and implementation of health risk management strategies. And we also have Brooke Runyon as our third guest from Lockton as a health benefits and risk management consultant. Um, and this series, again, is provided by uh, with funding from CEW, for which we are very, very grateful. Uh, Sherry, as we go to our close, two points. The first one to you, madam. Uh, when Todd a moment ago was talking about gamification, that's something that visitors to the Thrive Center can actually see there as well. You have some exhibits on gamification, correct? Yes, we do. I mean, we're always looking at uh, some innovative, interactive um, engagement technologies and solutions that are out there. Uh, when we created the Thrive Center, we wanted it to be that immersive, interactive experience where you can come in and interact with some of the technologies. And we have found a way um, to really make them more therapeutic. Um, you know, we're working with uh, an entrepreneur now. We have a projector here. Uh, and this company projects on the table or on the floor different games that uh, our seniors can use as they're coming through here. And so our Bellarmine PT students are actually working with them. And we're giving good feedback um, to the uh, founder of the company, too, to say it's not just about them enjoying it and moving flowers around on a table or walking down a path on the floor. But think in terms of a Parkinson's person and putting some rhythmic, rhythmic music to it and having them walk across the floor. And, uh, and someone with dementia, where when you're changing that threshold, how that's really going to pop to them, they may think they're stepping into a hole. So we look at some of these interactive technologies and then we think on the therapy side on how it can be used. And one of the big reasons for that, Dale, is that's reimbursement back to these companies. And we always tell these entrepreneurs, if you're not driving operational efficiency or a revenue stream for them, they likely can't afford to be innovative. They mm -hmm. operate on such slim profit margins. And I think when we look to Lockton, they sit in that area where they can help them control those costs, too. Mm -hmm. And that all leads to better care for mm -hmm. our uh, aging adults. Mm -hmm. Yeah, controlling costs is so paramount, uh, especially to healthcare. As I, in a moment, I'm going to go back to uh, Dr. Hale to share a personal story. But you know, when you're talking about healthcare costs, Sherry, and this is kind of a soapbox issue, I guess, but New York Times had an article recently about insulin in 1999 costs $21. And the same dosage in 2019 was $332. I mean, that's outrageous, you know, and I'm not asking Lockton to, uh, to solve this problem. I'm sure you guys are very much aware of this. And it's, I, I, I don't see any uh, abatement in the future, especially for consumers who are caught 
in what Dr. Christine said was the rinse and repeat cycle. I mean, it's outrageous, you know. Um, coming out of law firms, our issue was uh, tort reform, you know, where, where when uh, someone left a sponge in a patient, uh, folks have a jury trial and expect to win the lottery, you know. And so we always talked about tort reform ain't going to happen. And guys, you know, to use my college-educated English, I don't think that ain't going to happen in healthcare either in terms of these medical costs. Any thoughts on that before I relinquish my soapbox? I'm jumping in really quickly, and then, Christine, you can talk. I mean, Dale, I appreciate the perspective on the, the cost increase on insulin. I think we're also very, very concerned about the multi-hundred-thousand-dollar drugs and the million-dollar drugs and the gene therapies and those costs that have been essentially placed as the burden on our employer clients to figure out how to pay for. Hmm. So, Christine, I'll, I'll punt to you for more color commentary. Absolutely. This is the world that my team is in every single day. And Brooke's right. The FDA is approving these new specialty medications at a clip of almost one a week. Um, And they are coming in with price tags in the hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. You know, and furthermore, for our clients that purchase reinsurance, stop loss, we call it, um, on a a self-funded health plan, um, you know, those kind of therapies, they are for conditions that tend to be ongoing. You know, we can keep a cancer patient alive now for over a decade on suppressive therapy. Moreover, we can, you know, help patients now that have genetic conditions and autoimmune conditions and other things that present in younger individuals, but are going to be lifelong treatments until there's a very expensive cure. Um, and that means that from a reinsurance standpoint, you may get that treatment covered for one or two years. But at some point, the insurance carrier, rightfully so, is going to say, you know what, that's not unknown risk. That's known risk, and we don't cover known risk. And so we have employers now that are on the hook themselves to pay out of pocket up to hundreds of thousands, if not over a million dollars a year on certain individuals on their health plan, which is just not sustainable. So absolutely. But, you know, the good news story here is even on these super complex therapies. Um, There are lots of different things that can be done to address these cases. And by focusing in on this tiny subset of patients on these very unusual drug combinations with rare diseases, you know, we don't have to necessarily get the entire patient population to engage to make a difference. Um, We can go, you know, one by one through these individuals and check that do they have the right diagnosis and the right treatment plan and the right dose of the drug. And even the way the drug is delivered, um, you know, if you can move a patient from um, an an infusion center to the comfort and safety and convenience of their own home, you can save a a tremendous amount on the cost of these drugs, sometimes upwards of 60, 80% um, on these very, very costly drugs. And of course, that kind of savings is going to to mitigate the overall cost for all of the employees and the health plan overall. Um, mm-hmm. And so we're very um, aggressive and, and um, very proactive in, in trying to understand what's going on specifically with each patient's case and how can we, you know, give them the, their treatment that they need, but do it in a way that's more sustainable. Well, that's very good. And Sherry, I'm going to, uh, go to you for your final thoughts in a moment uh, to kind of wrap up this episode six of uh, Innovations for Aging Well. But uh, Dr. Hale, while you have the uh, microphone, you want to share a little bit with us about your personal journey through what you call rinse and repeat. And I think the story is around your dad. Is that correct? Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, 
happy to be able to share this. It's a, you know, of course, a very difficult story for my family, um, but it really highlights the importance, again, of investing in those team members, those caregivers that are at the front lines of caring for our older adults. Um, my father had a decade plus battle with Alzheimer's disease. Um, he ended up needing to be placed into long-term care in a memory care unit. Um, and it was a lifesaver for my family. Uh, my mother had was so stressed by this whole experience that she had basically a mental break um, and, and literally overnight demanded I fly three straight states um, over to put my dad into a, a, a f- facility. And so, you know, the I saw over the course of so many years, um, the best um, care possible, the most engaged individuals. And and unfortunately, some who were not that way. Um, and it was just remarkable when when a staff member felt encouraged and supported and, you know, given some some leeway to to really um, think outside the box. My dad did wonderfully. Um, you know, I would I would show up and he'd be dancing with the staff members. And, you know, when we let let them know that, you know, he he had pretty much lost his identity because his identity was caring for our family and and working. And so, um, you know, sharing that with them and watching them put him to work, setting the table and watering the plants and really helping him get value out of the last years of his life Mm -hmm. was incredible. Um, You know, and then on the flip side, when there were some leadership changes and and some turnover in the staff and they didn't understand his sense of humor and um, what really drove him, he would go into a deep depth. Right. Mm. And so I just have an incredible amount of appreciation for these frontline caregivers. And and even being on the acute care side, as I spent most of my career, you know, as a provider, that if, if you yourself are not in a good physical and mental space, it's very hard to, to then, you know, do your best and be in that right mindset um, to deliver that um, optimal care and that good experience to your patients. And so, you know, I really can't say enough. Um, I really can't thank you all enough for taking the time to listen to us and think about um, not only those technologies that can really benefit the residents, but how we can really support our caregivers that are in <clears throat> the facilities taking care of our residents um, while they are navigating the most, sometimes the most challenging parts of their lives. Well, Christine, thank you for sharing that personal story, which I'm sure uh, resonated not only with us, but also with our listeners as well. I appreciate your candor and sharing that. Um, Sherry, final thoughts as we wrap up? Yeah, and I want to circle back to where we started. uh, And I think uh, Christine highlighted that. Uh, It is an investment um, in the people who are caring for our parents. Uh, I went through a similar experience uh, with my mother. I do what I do out of a passion to make a difference. Uh, Having retired once, I'm back in uh, because it's a passion of mine to make a difference. And uh, I care for my mother as well, who uh, had Alzheimer's and lost her in 2019. And she was placed in a nursing facility too. And, you know, now as I think back, Um, I never knew what was going on in the lives of those uh, caregivers that were walking in her room every day. But I remember a certain gentleman who came in on a Saturday and really got her to do rehab where some of the others couldn't. And I always take a step back and think if we're investing, and I I love investing in uh, diversity and making it in, inclusive because when we look at that workforce, there are so many of them that uh, 
are not Caucasian. They may be African-American, they may be Hispanic, and they may be struggling and have those uh, caregiving experiences that we're not aware of. And so I'm honored to be uh, even associated with Lockton because they are making that investment. And I think we all need to take a step back and realize uh, how important it is when we're investing in that workforce and the caregivers, uh, because the stress that's placed on us as caregivers at home um, is off the charts. And so when we turn them over to these employees uh, out of safety uh, and necessity concerns into the senior living communities, uh, we want to see that there's an investment in those employees uh, that are now taking care of our aging adults. Well, very good. And I'm sure our listeners also uh, heard that passion come through with our with our folks from uh, from Lockton. And, and again, this has been uh, Innovations for Aging Well. We're so grateful for everyone uh, tuning in to listen to us today. The last voice you heard was uh, Sherry Rose, who's the CEO and Executive Director of the Thrive Center, a nonprofit innovation center with more information at Thrive Center KY. Sherry is my co-host for this monthly podcast series, Aging Innovations for Aging Well. Our guest today was Lockton Companies. We were focused on Lockton Companies, which is Lockton.com. In addition to its Kansas City, Missouri headquarters, Lockton operates more than 100 plus locations in 125 countries around the globe. And uh, Todd, uh, Brooke, or uh, Christine, I'm not sure which one of you guys can arrange for me to do a remote uh, broadcast from Dubai or London office. I think Sherry and I need to go there to really have some authenticity to the program. Can you guys work that out for us? And I'm, I hear silence. Yeah, I'm definitely deferring, <laughs> I'm, I'm deferring to Brooke on that one. Globally, yes. <laughs> uh, Sherry, I think the first part of that was the crickets. I think that was our answer, but thanks for the recovery, guys. <laughs> but uh, as we conclude, and this has been an enjoyable podcast uh, and interview. My three guests today have just been absolutely delightful. Uh, we've heard from Dr. Christine Hale, who's the medical director and lead strategist for Lockton's clinical consulting team. We also heard from Todd Halasny, who leads the Lockton Health Risk Solutions team. And then also from Brooke Runyon, who joined Lockton in 2009 and works in health benefits and risk management consulting. Guys, I really appreciate your time today on Innovations for Aging Well. And uh, keep us surprised with, with what you're doing in the future as we continue to uh, not only lift up your story, but also as part of Innovations for Aging Well, as part of this series powered by CDW, we're always looking to highlight thought leaders and innovators in long-term care. And today, highlighting locked-in companies, as Sherry said at the onset, in terms of what they're doing and the service that they provide has been absolutely delightful. And thank you guys for your time. I, we truly appreciate it. Thanks, Dale. Thank you. Thank you. And then next month, please stay tuned for our next edition of Innovations for Aging Well, when again, we'll have other thought leaders. Again, this series is provided and supported by CDW, which is, uh, which is a provider of technology products and services for healthcare, business, government, and education. This has been your host, Dale Josie. Until next time, have a great day. Be safe. We'll catch you next month on Innovations for Aging Well. <laughs>